ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Welcome back to maybe the last Flipside podcast in the free world. <laughs> I'm Galen Clavio, along with Brian Moritz. We're here on Election Eve. I feel like we need a better name, Brian, than Election Eve. Election Eve makes it sound like we're going to the dentist tomorrow, which I am, actually, ironically. Okay. But um, we, I feel like we need a different name for it. Can you think of anything? Uh, the apocalypse is nigh. Um, but not always. I not mean, always, it's not, not always, always the apocalypse. Not always. Like, and, I mean, and, and now it's tougher because there's so much early voting. Like you and, and Katie voted last week. So it's election day, but it's not like everyone's going to vote tomorrow. So it's kind of, I don't know, uh, Nate Silver gets, gets to exhale Eve. I don't know. Um, election Eve. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It, 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 it feels like. Ponder it. Just yeah. ponder it. No, that's good. No, that's that. This is this will keep me going throughout the podcast. That's um, what we need. We yes. got to keep you. We got to keep you up. You know, I right. mean, yeah. it's because because uh, Brian is having to forsake his normal viewing of the Bills, who uh, I, I would like to know did just lose the lead after I pronounced that they were going to win. Did they give up uh, a two point conversion? Oh no, it's tied. No, it's. it's was oh yeah, it's tied. I'm sorry. Tied. They, so it's so they, they're not losing. They just lost the lead. Well, yeah, they're not losing yet. Uh, it's Bill Seahawks Monday night game, fourteen fourteen. I have the game up. I have the game cast up on my phone here. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how if they can hold it off. But before we get, we got we, we. I don't think we have much election talk today. I think we're going to try to keep this a sanity free, a sanity free. It's always a sanity free zone. But kind of <laughs> like a uh, uh, an, an election free kind of a fun thing to listen to before you start freaking out about the results. And uh, so we've got some interesting and fun topics. But you've got something interesting to uh, that you wanted to read to me. Yes. So I was. Uh... I was watching Twitter, and Twitter, of course, is freaking out about everything tonight. It's about 9-11 here in the Eastern Time Zone. That that was a really loaded time that you picked to say that, by the way. It's completely completely not planned either. Uh, But but anyway, there was was obviously the the tweet that Kurt Schilling promoted, which uh, seemed to be promoting... Uh, uh, lynching journalists uh, that uh, I know you wrote about earlier, so that was getting some noise. And then there's a there's a rally for Trump in uh, uh, New Hampshire, I believe it is, and and Pence is up talking, and he's talking about Hillary Clinton and and Benghazi, and and someone yells out um, to assassinate her uh, using a, a pejorative pronoun. Uh, in in addition to that, but then there were other items from this that I felt like I needed to read to you. Okay, and I have not uh, without... heard, so I have not heard these. So this is news right. to me. So we have Trump. Trump introduces the Pence family. "Quote: We know the Pence family. Very very famous." End quote. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Trump is saying Tom Brady called him to say he voted for him, and then gave Trump his blessing to tell this massive crowd in New Hampshire. All right, which. That's great. That's great. That, that's like even if it's not true. Right. That's a like what 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 are they going to go to tr- to Brady and like ask him about that question specifically? <laughs> I uh, uh, Trump okay. More. Trump also says Bill Belichick wrote him the most beautiful letter. Uh, quotes uh, and he reads it. Congratulations on a tremendous campaign. You have dealt with an unbelievable and slanted media and have come out beautifully. You've proven to be the ultimate fighter. This was actual text from the purported letter from Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump read it 
this, at this today. Uh. Um, that's all I had. I just think it's fascinating <laughs> that, that the Patriots are being invoked so heavily at this stage of the election. Right. And, um, yeah, um, for one thing, now, <laughs> hold on, lots of process here. So, I mean, needless to say, this is just furthering my support for his opposition. Um, the Belichick thing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna straight up call BS on that one, which I know is a hot take to take and a really bold stance to take. Because, you know, much as I, much as I root against Belichick and don't like him, that does not sound like a letter Bill Belichick would write or even have a subordinate write. He seems like a, he's a pretty smart, sharp guy. And I don't see and him right. Not to mention, not to mention terse. Right. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, that's not something he would write. And the Brady thing, you know, um, I don't, I, I don't even know what to make of the Brady thing. I do want somebody to ask him. I do feel like Brady should be, you know, that should be is not the wrong word, but I wouldn't have a problem if somebody asked Brady who he voted for because he was, you know, invoked on the stand, you know, on the stand, invoked in a speech and, and had been invoked, you know, that, that he's a supporter of Trump and Trump and Brady are friends. Just like, you know, as a Bills fan, I would have no problem, you know, somebody talking to Rex Ryan about that. Um, but, uh, I, so, so we're, so we are wrapping up, uh, uh, up the campaign tonight and, and then tomorrow, I guess there's probably going to be some campaigning and some nonsense going on about this, but, um, but, it, but it does feel like since our last podcast, it has kind of stabilized a bit and kind of, uh, uh, the, the free fall seems to have ended, uh, for, for the Clinton campaign. Um, it seems like, you know, you know, uh, you know, we can't wait to follow up really quick on our on our Nate Silver conversation from last week. I, I I've been reading a lot of his stuff and listening to their podcasts, and it is funny to hear to hear, especially Nate. Kind of, he got very. Did you see the Twitter war he got into with the Huffington Post over the weekend? I did. Yes. What did you think of that? Because I thought um, I've been critical of five thirty eight, and I've been critical of Silver, but I thought that was kind of a pot shot that that five thirty eight was taking the article. Yeah, I didn't no. You you thought that the Huffington Post was taking a pot shot at five thirty eight? Yeah, I thought I thought it was kind of a kind of a d bag article and d bag move of of that. Not that there aren't criticisms of it, but like I thought that was real. The the tone of the article was kind of getting at you know questioning Silver's overall credibility rather than you know is is the Huffington Post a journalistic outlet? I th- I think so. <laughs> I mean, you think it is? Yeah, I mean, it's got staff reporters. I believe it's won Pulitzer Prize. Did I think it won a Pulitzer? I think it did. Um, it is mm-hmm. one, um, you know, recognized. You know, it, it, it's awkward because, like, <laughs> Huffington Post is awkward. But you know, it, it, it's one of those like BuzzFeed type sites where they do they they do excellent journalism and they do really good journalism, but they're so open in their in, in a lot of their opinion and um and, and who can write for me? Christ, I've written for the Huffington Post. Um, but I, I, but I, so, you know, I, I, I think it was, you know, I tweeted this and I realized because I was thinking a lot about my own reactions to 538 and the forecast. And I do think, you know, I've been trying to be a lot more reflexive about this and, you know, realizing that a lot of the problems people were having, and I include myself very much in this with Nate Silver and his analysis and stuff was that it was not matching up with the worldview that I espouse or the worldview that I wanted, basically saying, he, he's saying Trump's a t- uh, Trump has a one in three shot at winning. That's about what the odds are. I think it was upticking in this, but about a one in three shot. And like I, I think you know, I do think a lot of the reaction to it is like 
people who want it to be comfort, you know, kind of their comfort food, like the place you go to like, no, Trump can't win, kind of like it was in 2012, but it's not. Um, now, I do think that they're hedging, they're, they're doing a lot of hedging of bets and a lot of, well, if this could happen and this is possible. And I understand that from a statistical point of view, but I, but it, it, it can come off. It, it, it can be read. I don't know if this is true or not, but it can be read in a trying to find a way to justify Trump winning. And um, I do think there's some little blowback from them missing Trump on the in the primary. But speaking of, I just came to mind as I was reading, as we were talking, as I was speaking, you know, we talk about missing Trump. Do you remember last year when the Huffington Post was refusing to cover Trump as an, on its news pages? I very much do, yes. And that, that really seems stupid. and I mean, incredibly stupid in hindsight. Um, so what do you think? Is the, is the yeah. Huffington Post a journalistic source? Uh, man, I mean, I'm sure there is there's some journalism practiced on that site. But, I mean, a lot of the things I read on there are uh, they, they seem to be advocacy politics dressed up as journalism a lot okay. of the time. To the point that I unfollowed all Huffington Post articles from my Facebook news feed. Like, really? I, I still see them in Twitter, and, and I'll, I'll read them there occasionally. But for the most part, I just find that the a lot of what gets on there is it, it's, it's, it's very much written from one particular perspective, right. which is fine. I mean, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but it's passed off as something that isn't being written from one particular perspective. Right. And, and I think this fits right into that. Look, I, I think the, you know, the Huffington Post piece captured the, uh, the zeitgeist of this particular moment in time, which you summed up very well. I mean, you've got a bunch of, of, uh, of people who are liberal, progressively minded, who I think to some degree, um, a can't conceive of Donald Trump winning the election. B are worried that any talk of that is actually going to make it happen. Right. And and C, um, you know, think that you know they they envision five thirty eight and silver in particular as uh, politically friendly to them because they were so steadfast in their predictions on the two thousand twelve race not being particularly close. Uh, which which it really wasn't. I mean, it was closer, but it certainly wasn't close. And, um, you know, so this is a predictable narrative, which we covered in more detail last time, where you people things aren't following a prescribed narrative and you assign either a greedy corporate motive to it, which I saw quite a bit, the, the implication that Silver was, you know, purposely trying to keep things close to keep people coming back and reading 538, or you, uh, uh, you know, attribute a, a more sinister aspect to it, uh, which is that, that somehow, um, you know, Silver's deliberately misreading his polls or that there's some kind of a deliberate obfuscation of the actual truth, which is the, a wholesale rejection of, of Donald Trump in the election. So, uh, you know, and again, as somebody who is not particularly politically motivated, you know, from either side in this... I, this is entirely predictable for anybody who's been watching, uh, um, you know that that sector of media and the way that they will react to people who kind of fall out of line of the hegemony. Right, and, and well, no, go ahead, finish up. Go ahead, no, go uh, ahead. No, I, and, and, and it's you know, 
we can probably touch on, I don't know, we can hold off on a wholesale discussion of the journalism article that you posted to Facebook <laughs> over the weekend, which is a really interesting, I have, a, I have many thoughts on that, um, both supporting and kind of, you know, I think that could be a really, that could be a full discussion for a less serious show or, or for a more serious episode. But I do think, you know, you know, kind of along those lines, you know, I agree with everything you say, but I also feel like in a, in a, in a way, um, I'm interested in your take on this because you're much more statistics driven, much more analytics minded, much more, much more of a quantitative person than I am as, as a researcher and kind of as a sports fan. Although I am really trying to learn and develop that, that, that skill set. Um, it does strike me that whenever, and, and one of the criticisms I would have of silver, and I've seen this among sports analytics people too, is that when people question, you know, criticize them or question them, they are their default response. I'm going to paraphrase and be blunt just for the sake of our discussion is you people are so stupid. You can't possibly, you just don't understand what we're doing or don't want to understand what we're doing um, here. And now a lot of times there is truth in that because I think journalists is, you know, as a former journalist who hated math for most of his career, will 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 we'll attest to, you know, having to learn a lot about probabilistic thinking and statistical models and what this all and, and what all that means and you can extrapolate it out to sports too but I, I i always do feel like any criticism is met with a well no you're just wrong you don't get it my math is right you don't get it and i feel like and, and i do feel like in this case nate has done again i can call him nate um i i feel like i feel like he can do he has done not a strong job of, you know, he's been, it's funny. I think the, the criticism has sharpened his writing a little bit because now in all of his articles, you will see Clinton is a two to one favorite. He, he's using the phrase Clinton is a two to one favorite to win. And hearing that, you know, with my sports background, that made it, that, that kind of crystallized it and made it a little more clear. What I think the message has been is that Clinton's the clear favorite, but Trump can still win. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know if, you know, it's been kind of that that mo- that has been clearly said to people. And there are people who don't yeah. want to hear that. And, you know, on some days I'm that person for, you know, absolutely. But I feel like that that is a lot different message than Trump has a map to victory or Trump, you know, is within a, mar- a normal polling error of winning this election. And just the way it's framed, the way it's written sometimes, I feel like it does come off as I've got to fill, we've got, we've got a site to fill now. And let's, you know, I'm not saying it is, I'm saying what it com- what it can feel like and what it come off as. I know that's a horrible thing to talk about ephemeral feelings when we're talking about statistical data, but I think like there's a clear separation at times between the, the, the statistical analysis, which he's great at, and with the writing at it, and when, when challenged, and I see this in sports too, like when challenged, the analytics people are always, you know, analytics people can very much be, you're too, you just don't get it. You're just, um, you just don't get it. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> uh, so a couple of things to tackle on this. Yeah. I mean, the, the two things you said earlier, Trump's, you know, Hillary Clinton's got a two and three chance of winning or whatever it was. Right. And, and, Clinton's within a normal polling era of, of losing the election are right. basically the same thing. Right. But I don't, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, and, and I, I mean, not liking the fact that those are the same thing and, and arguing that one's not explaining things better than the other. I don't think that that's particularly fair. Okay. I, I think that, um, you know, the idea that you, the, the, the writings there, the poll numbers are there, the models there to look at the idea that, 
you know, every time you say that, that you have to somehow caveat that, you know, well, hey, I mean, we're within a we're within a rounding error, basically, or or a, a regular polling margin of error of of Trump being tied in this thing. But hey, it's okay because it's still only like a you know a, a two and one chance that he could possibly win, or a one and two chance. I don't know that that's or one and three chance. I guess it would be. I don't know that that's incumbent upon a writer that's who fair. For, the, for the entirety of the election has been giving the exact same coverage and has been delving deeply into the stats. I mean, I mean, just because people started noticing that these poll numbers were shrinking, I mean, this is really only a phenomenon that happened within the last couple of weeks. Right. That's uh, you know, post-Comey announcement or email. Right. Um, you know, but, but I think the whole idea behind the stats is that, you know, we tend to not think about things in terms of probability. Right. We tend to think of things in terms of binary. Either right. this thing will happen or it won't happen. And if I'm a if I'm a liberal, Donald Trump will not be president because I can't conceive of that. And and if he is president, then I'm moving to Canada. Like there's no there's no there's very little like there's well I'm not just you for, no. from an example for for, yeah. for the for, for this particular example I'm giving here this no. idea I that, just have strong thoughts on that but we'll come back to that. There's a binary response that yes. we, that we have as humans, and it's the same thing with the Republicans. You know, it's like Hillary Clinton should be in jail. Um, you know, not president. I mean, there, there's very little gray area, and right. probability is gray area. Right. I mean, you know that. The the way that these elections play out is very hard. I mean, you know, the the trying to ascertain through normal polling is difficult, and we've seen polls be wrong before, even advanced polling be wrong before, because pollsters pollsters don't have unlimited money to do polls, right? And you you know you have to deal with all kinds of weird effects, right? And with, that's why there's a margin of error built right into the poll, correct? And so, but. But you know, to me, what what we're dealing with with this silver five thirty eight thing is, it's not that people, you know, people. It's not. It's not that it's not being explained to them properly. It's that they're not paying attention to the explanation and they don't like the thing that's being explained. I mean, that's I th- been my perspective in looking at this. I do think that's the and, bigger and, one. You know, and so ultimately, if you don't if you don't like what's being put in front of you, and you're only focusing on on you know the outcome. No, Nate Silver says that you know Hillary Clinton's only got a 65 percent chance of victory. Your visceral reaction is going to be that Nate Silver is gaming things in order to try to look more important. Right. And you know, I mean, whatever you think of Silver's politics, I find this hilarious because you know the number of times that Republicans got made fun of yep. in 2012. I mean, there was that whole "Is Nate Silver a witch?" meme <laughs> that you might remember from yep. Twitter. Um, you know, because that was the the accusation was that Nate Silver was somehow practicing witchcraft and that and that he was making up poll numbers that weren't there. And it was all of the it was all the Democrat voters skewing the polls. That's where skewing the polls first came from was twenty twelve. Right. You know, and and so to me, it's it just highlights things that we've talked about over and over again. Whether it's this or whether it's the voter fraud thing. You know, people flipping out on on Trump for you know for implying voter fraud when when Democrats. 12 years later, or 12 years earlier, pardon me, we're doing the exact same thing. That There's a real disconnect. And I don't blame one side or the other. This is natural human response. But I think that the idea that somehow 
this you know that the, the the fault is with with silver 538 because they're not explaining themselves properly i really don't think that's the case i mean i've been paying attention to 538 all election i think they've explained themselves very well and i think you know the the people who have argued that silver is trying to cover his ass because he refused to take trump seriously in in the primaries and then wrote a kind of a confessional piece explaining why that was that, you know, and the, the idea that that's the reason why he's overestimating Trump's support, I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's actually gotten to be a relatively close election. Right. But, ra- but rather than acknowledge that, people want to attack the messenger right. uh, and, and, and the message that they're bringing at the same time. I do, I do say from the sports perspective, the idea that the analytics people are, are thin-skinned because they don't respond well to criticism. Can they uh, also, I, that can also be said for the regular... For- Traditional reporters too. Let's, let's well. Let's. Well, and I think that the thin, if there's a thin skinness with the with the the, and look, I'm not a math specialist by any means. I'm I'm not great. I, I could not design the models, or you know, or perform some of the high level uh, regression analyses that that are required in some of these. I'm not sure I could figure it out after a while, but I wouldn't be particularly great at at it compared to some people that I know. But I, I can tell you this. When when you're looking at numbers and you're looking at, at probabilities and you're looking at okay what what it, what best explains the largest amount of variance within this particular situation, the idea that uh, I come in and say well what you have to say is bullshit because I can highlight this example of of it not happening right that like that is so infuriating to anybody that's that's done anything with mathematics or numbers because that's just it just doesn't compute. Like right. the idea that, oh, here's an example, or he's like, here's three examples of where you're wrong, doesn't negate what the numbers actually say. Right. And, and and that's it's the reason that it gets frustrating is that there is no real answer to that because you're not, you know, you're you're it's apples versus dolphins at that point. Like it's not <laughs> apples versus oranges. I mean, right. it's like it's it's different. It's different phylum, you know. And, and so that's that's I think where the problem comes in you know it's like the whole moneyball debate it's like you know, all these people say you know well moneyball was was a failure because billy Bean never won anything with the a's and it's like you you out yourself as being a philistine who completely misses the point right. when you say stuff like that and if you don't realize that then it's like you're even more of a philistine at that right. stage exactly so um we've managed to talk like 20 minutes on the election when we said we weren't going to talk about the election um so really quick to be fair, we're talking about nate silver that's so true. so so really quick because we have some important important topics to get to today what's your uh what's your final guess on on the electoral vote tomorrow my final you know what i i'm gonna let me let me play with the map you, um, you do a 270 to win that's fine i was doing the uh, I, I was doing one earlier because uh one of my colleagues he was having his uh pol- law and policy class do a do a map for extra credit and so well i do that well, well go ahead sorry no and, and so so i put one together too i put together my mind together today that i was gonna put on facebook tomorrow but i'll share with our listeners first i'll even though this will pro- they'll probably see it on facebook before i post while I do that, what's your drink of choice for the? Oh yes, drink of choice. So I have this is a great beer because it's starting to get cold up up here in uh, Western New York and uh, some frost on the uh, grass this morning. So I have the Founders Porter, uh, which is just an excellent, full, really flavorful, really uh, really nice, cool, cold weather uh, porter. Founders, of course, great brewery. So I'm enjoying the porter very much. So. Um... Because I feel like election eve is a time for contemplation. <laughs> I'm actually going with the red wine tonight, Again, as opposed, right. to, 
Yes. Uh, so this is the uh, Affogato. This is a uh, a, a Puglian wine. Um, and this is uh, let's see, what do we got going on in this? Actually, I do not does not have the grape mix in this, unfortunately. Damn it! But it's uh, but it's a very it's a very very nice wine. Uh, I would highly good good Italian table wine. I would highly right. recommend it. Excellent. So while you are doing doing your election, I got it. I got it, I got it done. Okay. So. so mine is I'm predicting Clinton wins. I have her at three hundred and oh shoot, I have to do math here really quick. Uh, 307 electoral votes. Um, what I have right now is basically, if you look at 538, uh, all of the, I, I basically matched 538, but I, in a very narrow decision, gave Trump North Carolina, and I think that's going to be a kind of a toss-up-ish state. Um, but so I have, uh, I have her at 30, uh, 307, possibly up to 322 if she takes North Carolina, but I'm taking Clinton with 307 to win and Trump with whatever you subtract that from 538. So what do you have? I have, I'm looking now, I'm just making sure I want to make sure before I give my answer that I've actually got it exactly how I want it. And I'm just checking this out real quick. Make sure everything is cool. Mm -hmm. It is cool. And I think at this point I am going to actually project um, I think it's actually going to be a, a pretty close day, all okay. told. Um, closer, um, and, and I'm, I'm I'm operating on on the conservative concept that voter turnout among the Trump people is actually going to be really high. Oh, okay. Um, and and I, I I'm having a hard time putting my my thumb on why I feel that way, uh, okay. but I feel like it's going to be that way. But so I actually I have Clinton winning. Uh, and I have the the total at two seventy six to two sixty two. Ooh, so you have is Nevada your breaking the breaking point state on that one? Um, I don't have I don't have that map set. Okay. Uh, no. Um, you know what what ends up giving the margin, I guess, would be a combination of Nevada, uh, New Hampshire, and Michigan. Ah, okay. Yeah. I, so I, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I you know my expert political analysis from the uh, journalism professor, but I think that you know I get I went with Florida over North Carolina because of what I've been reading this weekend about Hispanic uh, higher Hispanic turnout and Latino. I had I did see that in I did Florida, see that. and obviously that's huge in Nevada and and running in Florida too. And if that runs the way we you know people are expecting it to, that could break. Florida in a big way for Clinton. Um, but yeah, it can run anywhere. You know, I've, I've, you know, I love playing with 270. So I've had maps down to 276, maybe 272. I think I've had, I, yeah. I've had her at it, depending on what you do with Nevada. Um, I but, had, I, my, I, before I got cold feet, I actually had it at 272 to 266, but which, it, which would be really interesting because there's the two electors in Washington who said that they're one who said she, he's definitely not voting for Hillary and one who said he might not. So that means she would right. actually need to get to 272 to have the 270 once the electoral college votes. Um, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the concept, well, let me ask you this all right. since we're on this time, I will say if, if Hillary wins, the margin suddenly jumps to three hundred one to two thirty seven. Yep. In favor of Hillary, which I think is entirely plausible as yes. well. Yes. Uh, I do think, I do think Trump's going to win North Carolina. 
I have a sneaking suspicion Trump's going to win New Hampshire. Um, I think Hillary's going to win Nevada, and I think um, I do. I, Florida is the one I really know. I'm not 100 percent certain, right. of, but I, but I, but let, let, let's get to the faithless elector thing. Yes, if there are faithless electors, right? Which would be a great you, band name, by the way. Faithless. I, I'm almost certain that that band exists. I'm In not, fact, while I, while you answer this, I will look it. that up. Okay. But what what would you predict would be the media reaction to multiple faithless electors in a presidential election? Oh, um, in one that in one that matters, uh, that is this close, and and that the that the mainstream outlets have invested with the level of societal import as they have with this one. All right. So so to have it matter, then you have to have a map that's close to yours, because if Hillary gets the three, if she wins all the states that are blue on 538 right now, and she's at like 332, you know, one or two people being faithless electors, they'd be a minor shitstorm, but I don't think it'd be anything bigger. But if Hillary's at like 276, and all of a sudden people start talking, um, the phrase that pops into my head is cataclysmic shitstorm. Um, <laughs> because I... Which worse, would be, worse than 2000. Oh my God, yes. Um, because, okay. I mean, for one thing, cataclysmic shitstorm and faithless electors, that's a great double bill. Of a, a band. By the way, I am not finding a band named Faithless Electors. I think you and I may need to start this on the internet. Done. Um, but uh, <laughs> our first album would be Cataclysmic Shitstorm. But yes. no, I think um, because I think it would be worse than 2000 because what you what you had in 2000 was you know aside from the moment you get to the Supreme Court, but you still were basically dealing with upholding the will of the people. And so Bush had a narrow version in the recount. Whatever you say about that, there was still a kind of will of the people. What you would have if you have faithless electors starting to, you know, impact the the electoral vote, what you would have then is the the the, the mainstream media frame of that, I think, would be very loudly. You have the first woman elect woman elected to the president and by the will of the people, especially since m- almost all models have Clinton winning the popular vote. I'm looking at Correct. 538 right now, and they have Clinton at a blah, blah, blah down here. Clinton at 80% to win the popular vote. And so you're going to have not only her winning the electoral college, but the popular vote. And then to have, especially if you have white men who are changing their vote, I think it would just be cataclysmic might not even do it. I think it would be just... Oh, I, 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 I'm having trouble coming up with words to think of how, how awful it would be or how, uh, not well, awful, I shouldn't say awful, how just it, it would, it would kind of in a weird way probably be fitting to the, uh, to this whole aesthetic of the 2016 election. Yeah. But, um, you know, if the projections are holding, you know, what, what I'm seeing on the upshot and on 538, it's probably, you could have one or two guys who would not vote, who would not vote their conscience. And plus, I believe, who would not vote their conscience and it would matter and there'll be a minor uproar about it. But I believe there are legal penalties for being a faithless elector in a very state to state. But, you know, I heard this on Saturday's daily podcast from the 538, but I think it was, uh, I think there are legal penalties for not doing it. Like a thousand dollar fine, like not, you know, not like life imprisonment, but you know something tells me the electors can handle that. So what what I think is interesting is that d- the electors don't cast their ballots until the first December Monday 19th. after the second Wednesday in December. Yeah, and December, then yeah, and then they're not counted uh, until January sixth. Okay, and so 
I mean, let's let's say let's say something weird happens on election night, and let's say we have that two seventy two to two sixty six uh, output, or let's say something like New Hampshire and Michigan both break to Trump. Okay. And North Carolina breaks to Clinton, and we end up with Clinton at two seventy one and Trump at two sixty seven. <laughs> okay. I mean now now, yeah. now now we're cooking with gas. Right. I mean, like <laughs> like or let's or okay here's so it's always been talked about as a doomsday scenario on the Democrat side. What if it's the other direction, where Trump narrowly wins the election, and there are multiple faithless electors that refuse to vote for Trump? Oh yeah. Thereby throwing the race, you know, thereby Clinton won't win and the race gets thrown into the House of Representatives. Right. Like, I mean, there, there's a lot of scenarios here where in that case, it's, it's, it's amazing what, the, what the, the media reaction would be. Because if it's faithless electors, as you mentioned, for, you know, basically re- not allowing Clinton to uh, assume a victory. Right. The I think you're right. That would be the frame. It's like here's these you know here's these white men refusing to allow this woman to become president. If it's the opposite direction, and electors refuse to provide Trump with uh, access to the presidency and end up throwing the race into the House of Representatives instead, I mean, just like the the narrative is completely different at that point. It's like yeah. look at these look at these brave electors right. saving the republic. You right. Know? Yeah. Uh, and that would be that would be crazy, crazy. The 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 f- my most fun crazy elect electoral. Uh, is there a, is there a cat on the yes. camera? By the uh, way, okay. uh, yes, that that is our our kitten Fiddle who's uh, running around. She's uh, jealous of all the attention Nelson's gotten on the podcast, and she wants <laughs> in. But um, the 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 craziest and awesome uh, scenario I saw was how Evan McMullen could become president. And it was basically if he won Utah, which I don't think he's going to. He's like kind of disappeared off of that. But if he won Utah and got Utah's what four electoral votes? Yeah, sure. six. Four, six. There it's six. Okay, six electoral votes, and that's all he got. But that was enough to create a tie. But so, uh, so nobody got the two seventy. Then it goes to the House of Representatives, and all of a sudden the House Republicans don't have to vote for Trump, who they you know have to hold their nose or answer to. They have a conservative, you know, clean cut option, and all of a sudden President McMullen. That was one of my you know, favorite ones. It's not going to happen, but it was awesome. I mean, it, it could, it could still well, potentially. I mean, theoretically, anything there, could, anything could. There, happen. there is a scenario where if Nevada votes Republican and Michigan votes Republican and Utah votes for McMullen mm-hmm. and New Hampshire votes for Clinton and Florida votes for Trump, Clinton ends up with two hundred and sixty-nine electoral votes, right. and Trump ends up with two hundred and sixty-three electoral votes. Right, and then it goes to the House, <laughs> and then McMullen, and then, and then it's it, it's on to McMullen. Or as WizKid Harry Anson always calls him, McMuffin, which is just McMuffin, wonderful. Yeah. Which is just wonderful. <laughs> all right. All right. You came up with – so we were, we were texting about, about topics yesterday. And I had all my usual serious BS topics about the NFL and the election and blah, blah, blah. But So I asked you to – I felt like we needed some silly offbeat ones for today. Um, again, we, need I, it, we, need, we want to give some people some, some fun. But you have another point? Well, uh, one last statistical thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, there is a way to get to 266, 266. Uh, really? If, okay. You, Utah goes to McMullen. Right. Nevada, goes, Nevada and New Hampshire and Florida and North Carolina go to Trump. Okay. And Michigan goes to Clinton. Okay. That is actually a scarily plausible map now yeah. that I think about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. Um, which is, and, 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 yeah, that, that is freaky. Um, you know what I, I was saying? I was saying to my to my wife earlier um, earlier this weekend. This would be such an awesomely fun election if it were anybody but Donald Trump. 
with or, these... or if it was any other country. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine if we were. Imagine if we cared about Canadian politics and right. we were watching this happen in Canada. Yes. Or because I feel like if this were like Rubio or John Kasich or some like you know average doltish Republican candidate, and not you know Donald Trump brings with him all the baggage and the fear and all the the awfulness. But if it were just a regular Republican versus Clinton and all these scenarios, this would be this would feel so much fun. It wouldn't have that anxiety on my side of the table. I think. I mean, there would be the anxiety, but it wouldn't be this end of the world as we know it, more like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, the one point I wanted to make when you're talking about moving to Canada, and my students asked me about it today, um, I don't know why, and it's always a liberal thing, we want to move to Canada. The British Virgin Islands are a two-hour flight from here. It is much warmer. It is a different country. You're in the Caribbean. You're not in, I love Canada, but let's be honest, if you're moving, if you're moving somewhere to like, find, you know, you know, escape, you know, a horrible, potentially dystopian future in the United States, why are you moving someplace cold when you can move someplace warm? That, and, um, and they speak English. That's what I've got. I, I would argue that there's a couple of reasons for that. One, um, Despite their constant clucking at the U.S. for their immigration policy, the British really do not want you to move to their country at all. Okay, like, and that's the thing with most of these European countries. Like, they're all like, you know, you should have open borders, and yet you try to actually move there and set up residency. They're really not interested at all. But I can respect that. It's the whole I wouldn't want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member. Um, Right. Um, the, also, the British. Have you ever been to the British Virgin Islands? I've been to the regular. I've been to the American Virgin Islands, and they're quite lovely. Okay. Yeah, well, the, the, the BVI, as, as the kids say, is great, <laughs> but it's also damn expensive. It's, it's among the most expensive places in the entire Caribbean to go okay. to. Right. I'm just saying in this hypothetical thing where I've sur- voluntarily surrendered my American uh, citizenship and moved to another country to avoid what I think is a dystopian future, I'm not yep. going someplace cold. I mean, I think that's northeastern liberals just like wanting not to have to move too far. Like, is there really a difference between New York City and Toronto at the end of the day? Mm, the hockey's no, the hockey's better in New York. So, uh, poutine, slightly, the poutine is better in Canada. The poutine is better in Canada. I mean, you got you got you got a couple options if you happen to be a francophile. You got some not great too, options uh, there. That's true. Uh, but. I would agree with you. I would much rather move to maybe the Bahamas rather than the BVI, uh, just fair. from a, from a cost perspective. That's but fair. no, you're right. I mean, no one says I'm going to move to Mexico if we if we right. lose you know this election. That that doesn't seem to enter into many people's conceptualization. Right. No. No. <laughs> Guatemala is not even getting during, even during even during the Vietnam War. It wasn't like you know, well, okay, if I get drafted, I'm going to go hide out in Juarez. Like no, it's like. I'm gonna... <laughs> Uh, Ecuador is not a popular destination for no. the disaffected liberal. Um, all right, so uh, so you had a couple a couple of four fantastic uh, fun questions that, to ponder. A couple about food, which are good, but I want to tackle the invention question first. Okay, I gave this one a lot of thought, and I don't know if I have really good answers to it. So I'm interested okay, to where I, you want to go with this. I will go ahead and read this, and I, and I won't lie. I had a particular answer in mind good. here. Good, good. What historical invention seems like the dumbest idea in hindsight? Okay. That was the question yes. that I asked. And so, you know, my thought process here was, like, what was it that, that man created? It doesn't have to be like a machine necessarily. It could just be a process or a product mm-hmm. that, that you know, was, was invented. And, and now as we look back on it, it's like, what in the hell were you thinking? Okay. And, um, and so my, uh, my answer to this was leaded gasoline. Oh, okay. uh, now, so now this that. is this is something that most of you youngins, you millennials, are, 
you millennials, hell, even you, the Gen Xers probably don't right. remember this. But I have vivid memories when I was a young boy of driving around. Hi, Kitty. Uh, <laughs> the, the cat does not remember this. No, the cat does uh, not remember I, this. I have, I have, I have memories driving around with my mom in in Indiana, and you know, you would still come across gas stations that were selling unleaded and leaded gasoline. I remember that too. Yeah. And it wasn't really until like the late 80s that the leaded gasolines were gone entirely. So we're talking about like most of, you know, most of my early childhood, like up until I was about 10, you could still buy leaded gasoline. Now, um, leaded gasoline, as as we know, is, is a terrible, terrible idea and also an unnecessary idea, as we've seen. Like there's no real need for lead in gasoline. Right. And what's interesting is that the whole reason that this was invented was because um, there was a a way for the the companies that this particular scientist was involved in. This guy's name was Thomas Midgley Jr. There were, the the companies that he was working with could make a lot more profit off of leaded gasoline than they could off of ethanol. Uh-huh. Ethanol, as we now know, is 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 pretty benign substance. It's basically just you know. Um, alcohol that you're burning in your tank, and so that was that was the distinction that was me that was that was being made there, and there was this huge marketing campaign behind the idea of having leaded gasoline, and you know the guy who invented it actually had to take a vacation from work to cure himself of lead poisoning, uh, I mean, which should have like been that. the first tip that something was was awry with this, right? You know, and 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 so like here's a like, and I, I love this. This is in the Wikipedia article uh, on October 30th, 1924. Midgley participated in a press conference to demonstrate the apparent safety of TEL, which was the additive, the, the leaded additive they were using in gasoline. Uh-huh. In, this dem- in this demonstration, he poured TEL over his hands, then placed a bottle of the chemical under his nose and inhale, inhale its vapor for 60 seconds, um, demonstrating he could do this every day without succumbing to any problems whatsoever. Uh, and then he had to take a, a leave of absence after being... Uh, <laughs> discovered to have lead poisoning so that that now what's what's fascinating is this is the same guy same person that invented cfcs <laughs> he is like it's, the single worst per, like worst environmental the, he villain is, he is the typhoid mary uh, <laughs> of, of of these to the to the point that uh there's a quote from a there's a guy from bbc news that uh that uh actually it wasn't bbc news it was bill bryson that said this um, you know, Midgley possessed quote an instinct for the regrettable that was almost uncanny, <laughs> and an environmental historian opined that Midgley quote had more impact on the atmosphere than any other single organism in Earth's history. Uh, so, <laughs> he basically so destroyed the planet. This guy. Yeah. So I mean, I think there's a great argument for CFCs as well. Yeah. Uh, although there was at least a reason behind CFCs. It was the sure. idea that refrigerants sucked, like they were they were volatile and they would explode all the time. And right. so it was like, oh, here's an inert, you know, inert thing that we could use, as opposed to, you know, I mean, and that ended up being like not good. <laughs> but at least there there's some some sense could have been made out of that, unlike right. what we saw with. Um, with with uh, the leaded gasoline front. So right. okay, with all that said, do you have an entry for this? I, I've got a couple, and they're terrible. I mean, it, it's a they're, they're they're terrible entries. But the the three that came to mind on this one, they all have something in common. So I went with the, these are so bad. I'm sorry, but they're, but this is what I came up with. I came up with the toaster oven, the eight track player, and the laser disc. 
I think so, all those are great inventions. Okay, here's here's my, why I think of them. Well, and, and because to me, they're they're basically kind of what I, what what I, what I wrote down was kind of like the idea of like they're like the interstitial interstitial technologies that like sort of bridge the gap from one era to the other. Um, and so like like the A track basically like was sort of a portable bridge between the the LP. And the cassette, but there's no longevity to it. And I don't know how good it was at the time. And I guess I, these are terrible answers to this question, but they're the ones I thought of. Like the, the toaster oven, just, you know, I know people will swear by it. I've never owned a toaster oven. They, I, I pro- would probably set a house on fire in like eight seconds with a toaster oven. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it just seems like that, you know, I have a toaster, I have an oven, I have a microwave. Why don't, it, it seemed to like maybe fill a gap at one point, but doesn't necessarily now. And it's just, they're, they're, I don't know, they're, like they're, they're bad, they're bad answers to it, but that's all I could think of was like those, because it's really easy to like look back at a technology. You had great picks, but like look back at an invention or a technology and with modern eyes and say, wow, that was really stupid. But at the time it really made sense or it made sense for the world in which it was, in which it was a part of. And, you know, and, and, and so, you know, a little bit of te- technological moral relativism there, but, right. I, but, you know, I just, you know, that, that's the only thing I could think of with like modern, uh, like inventions that just seem dumb in, in, in hindsight. And, and, and I don't know. Like I said, they're terrible answers. I, I, I struggled a lot with this question this week. I didn't think of anything like, like leaded gasoline or CFCs or any, like, you know, I was thinking I, I was kind of defaulting to a more technological, you know, a more technology point of view, I guess. Um, I don't know. Did you have any other ones aside from leaded gas? No, that was. I mean, I think leaded gas is enough, personally. No, but I mean, good, if, yeah. if you don't think if you don't think that's enough, I no, can no, go. no, you sold it. No, you sold it. Um, so okay, we have so we have some other questions to get to. Uh, let's see. We'll do this one. Let's okay. Let's do the the, the this one really quick, and I'll I can introduce this one if you want. Uh, we'll do what, what children's song deserves to be banned first. Now, so, so oh, let me give some I'll give yeah. some background on this. Yes. Yeah, and we are coming at this from at, at different points of view. You have a one year old. I have a now six year old. So right, different. Okay, so uh, my one year old has uh, very uh, amusingly decided that she really loves standing in front of the computer and watching um, little baby bum videos. I don't know if you've ever run across those on the internet. Thankfully, no. Uh, but they're actually not bad. They, they, they're not, they're not tremendously offensive or anything like that. And, you know, they they sing like various songs. I mean, some of them are fine. I've heard some interesting interpretations of like Baba Black Sheep and, and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. um, but there, there's some songs that they just, um, that they, they just don't really seem to deserve existence and, okay. and they probably need to be you know just removed from society okay uh so that's 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 where we're coming from on gotcha. this okay. but i wanted to hear from you first since i went first last time sure so um i mean the obvious pick here we have to say it although i don't want to say it is the barney song you know i don't think people really sing that anymore but that's like you know you got to pick that in the first round because the, <laughs> that has to go um and it's and and it's funny because like my daughter has kind of, you know, pretty evolved musical taste for about a six-year-old. Like, we don't really shelter her a lot in terms of the music she listens to or we listen to around her. Um, I right. mean, my, my kid listen, loves the Mamma Mia soundtrack. 
Um, oh God! Yeah, is that really a, is that really a children's thing though? No, no. Um, but I'm just saying, in terms of like Ellie's musical taste, they're kind of you know not normal kid stuff. I would, and, and, and so it, it, and it's really hard because like the only other thing I could think of would be the uh, there are two songs from the Disney show Sophia the First that I would absolutely run. There's the theme song because Sophia the First is a terrible, 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 terrible show um, that my daughter has loved for her entire life. Um, and it, it's about a princess named Sophia who kind of Cinderella-ish story, like not, you know, Mary, her mom marries into the royal family. So she has to learn how to become a princess, insufferable, insufferable little girl that she is. So, I, so the theme song and like, so there, there was a song in the first episode, I'm not ready to be a princess. And it's just so whiny and it's so, um, and so the theme song just always makes me cringe a little bit because that means I have to see it. So I'm going to. I'm going to claim that one. But I got to tell you, one of the weird things that's happened to to, to me is uh, our daughter, she's in first grade now. And so, like, she never heard Kids Bop. Like, we were steadfast in, in refusing to play that for her. Okay. She started hearing Kids Bop in kindergarten. And in first grade, they have, like, breaks in the day where they listen to videos and stuff. And, and there's Kids Bop. And as much as I want to hate it, it's that stupid thing where she loves it so much that I, I can't hate on something that genuinely makes her excited and happy and gets her dancing and kind of, you know, makes her, does make her recognize current pop songs. And so I, I can't, as much as I want to hate on Kids Bop, I can't hate on Kids Bop. So I'm going to go with the, uh, with the uh, theme song from Sophia the First. Um, so what are you banning? I'm banning the, the, the finger song. The finger song? Uh, the daddy finger, mommy finger. What? I did not know this one. That you, that I'm not going to sing it, <laughs> but you should go go check it out. It's it's really bad. Okay. Um, it's just, I mean, it, it at least when it's sung, it's supposed to be like one of those demonstration things, like you know, daddy finger, daddy finger, where are you? You know, that, okay, like yeah. you know, sticking like various fingers up in the air. Sure. Um, it's just, it doesn't. It, it doesn't have any point. Like, it's not really like you're not even calling the fingers by their proper names at that point. Like, you're just assigning random, like, gender and, and, and okay. age assignments to them. It ends up being very annoying. And it also makes no sense in a cartoon setting, okay. which is how, yeah. how I think most children will, will, will receive it. Um, so, yeah, that would be that would be mine. I mean, I would say um, there's. It, a lot of it depends on the presentation. Like course, I, I, ha, right. I have actually found that the um, when when children's songs are being presented, it's actually I think they're whatever the song. It's most annoying if they're presented in a maudlin manner. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I like some upbeat stuff. I will say this: I think Wheels on the Bus. We really need to reass reassess our approach to that song. Okay, because that that song. It's okay. It's it's just it like it's it's silly and it's simple. Right. But what I've noticed is that there's so many different like versions of Wheels on the Bus okay. depending on like what which librarians what the, on duty that day, right? You know, or or yeah. if it's in a cartoon, like what animation they're trying to focus on, right? And and, and I feel like it's not really in most cases giving the kids a, a real good. Um, picture of, of anything because it's very quick and the repetition doesn't do a whole lot to really give them an idea of what something in particular does and like okay. you know it's like there's you know sometimes it focuses on 
the bus sometimes the bus it focuses itself, on, yep. the, on, the, on the people in the bus or what the bus does but so you're looking for more standardization or are we looking to like yeah i it? think okay. so okay but, but but and that's tough with that song though because the song itself also it kind of sucks like i mean if you it's it's like the um i'm, I'm trying to think I'm I'm out of I'm out of touch with the Christmas songs right now, but okay. like you know how there's certain Christmas songs that just aren't that good because they there are there are just ones that are significantly better. Right. And that's kind of how I feel about Wheels on the Bus. It's okay. like it's it's just like it is the it is the lowest common denominator of children's songs. Are you saying it's the Nickelback of of, of children's songs? It's the it's the creed of, oh, the of creed children's, of children's songs. songs. Okay, so I think I think that could be a good you know after we after Cataclysmic Shitstorm, I think Faceless Elector's second single would be a technical a techno re remix of Wheels on the Box Wheels on the Bus for today's modern children on the go. I like that, and <laughs> and we you know we could we could release a special holiday album called Creed for Christmas or something like that. <laughs> So what? So really quick, what are your thoughts on? Because you're still in the uh, with a one year old, you're still kind of in this in this era of music. What do you think of like the pop music lullabies? So like the Led Zeppelin for babies and and Nirvana for babies, where they like re like like have Nirvana songs, but they're like you know very nursery rhymey in sound. My what do you think of those? My daughter, um, really from about age three months to the present. Um, loves and falls asleep to rock and roll, like actual rock and roll, nice. not not nursery rhyme versions. So to me, um, we've exposed her to that stuff from the beginning. We want her to listen to it. She dances when it's on. She falls asleep when it's on, when she's tired. I I really don't have time for these like act out versions, uh, lullaby yeah. versions of these songs. I, I think that yeah. it's... Yeah, did not necessary. We had a Beatles one, which was fine. I mean, it, they're Beatles songs, so they're not. It's not going to be bad. But that was the only one that really took. And I and and I feel like with those, a lot of it is. It's how I feel like when they do classical covers of pop songs or like rock songs, where right. like for the first thirty seconds or like the first verse, it's awesome. But then you realize there's another three and a half minutes of it, and they're pop or rock songs, so they're just repetitive. So it's just the same chord progressions over and over again, and that's not really. You know, 30 seconds of it is amazing. Three and a half minutes of it is just, we don't need this. So, all right, we've got two food questions to get to. Do you want to, which one do you want to do first, the pizza or the trendy? Trendy. I think the pizza is definitely a closing question. Oh, no. Okay. That's what I thought too. Okay. So I'll let you, uh, I'll read this one and you can answer first. So, um, because you're going to have better answers again on this one than me. Um, what specialty food item needs to go mainstream? So again, I, I had something in mind with this, yep. uh, and I, I really think it's dark chocolate. You don't think dark like, chocolate's mainstream? I don't actually. Really? I think it's actually very niche, I, and I don't okay. mean like I don't mean like Hershey's special dark. No, no, no. I like mean like it's, yeah, like actual legitimate dark chocolate. Okay. I mean it, it's there, but it's mainstream in the same way that like Jill Stein is mainstream. You know, I mean it's <laughs> it's it's. it's <laughs> You know, it's not really mainstream at all. It's, it's not it's really mainstream, people... and it makes you want to set your hair on fire sometimes. Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but um, <laughs> I, I, I've started eating some dark chocolate lately, and and I've found that it's actually a really enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very different. It makes you question your entire chocolate. In, it in really does, yeah. Because because what you realize that what you've been eating is sugar, right. and not chocolate. 
Because when you eat chocolate without a lot of sugar and milk dumped into it, at first you're like, yeah, like what? Like this is like eating coffee. Um, uh, but, but, but it's kind of like the transition you make when you drink coffee black for the first time, yep. as opposed to drinking it with with milk or sugar. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is what this tastes like, and oh, this actually isn't bad at all. If I if I unhook my expectations from my taste buds and just enjoy it for what it is. And so that's why I would say it's not really mainstream because really, you know, even if you get like a, you know, like a dark chocolate crumble or on a cheesecake or something, it's generally like 40% dark chocolate. Like it's, right. it's not, it's not, it's going to still going to be like very sugared and very milked up. All right. I'll, I'll, so that, I'll, yeah, that would be, that would be my answer. Yeah. No, the, the dark chocolate move, it, it's, and it's such a big move, such a big change. You know, I will occasionally have dark chocolate. And what, what's, what I love about it and what, what's the biggest adjustment for me is the, go, the realization that you're only going to eat like two squares of the bar. Right. Like, as opposed to when you have a Hershey bar, you're eating the whole Hershey bar. That's what it's meant for. And, and you know, my love for Hershey bars has been has been well established. Or any milk chocolate bar, like it, it that that's a much more kind of whole experience. But the dark chocolate, it is, it you know, this is a probably terrible comparison, but it's kind of like when you when you you know you, the coffee comparison was good. I would think about it with like when you start really drinking like good single malt scotch. And you realize right. you're not drinking the whole, you're not do, downing shots or doing it quickly. Like you're pouring it, you're, it's a savory, slow experience. Um, that's a good, really good pick. So I had two. Um, and again, one of these is kind of mainstreamy thanks to Arby's, which is ruining everything. But I really do think pork belly is a, is, is, is a, is a cut of meat that's got to, that, that's got to become much more mainstream and much more popular. You know, obviously it's popular in bacon form, but in just the uncured pork belly, I think can, is really versatile, really good. Um, and I, I, and I think that that's something that can, um, again, and now this might be mainstream. I'm not, you know, in kind of like real foodie type circles. So it might be popular. I already, I know about it. So it must be somewhat mainstream, but I feel like that, that can be poised to go a little bit bigger. Then it's, it it's it's getting big like you know i mean when our i think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago but when arby's has your particular type of meat on its sandwich list you know that it's hit mainstream already right exactly or it's it's getting there it, i, I look like, i think pork belly is excellent i i have right. nothing nothing bad to say about pork belly at all right and you know it, there is the fear that could go like the brisket route where it becomes like very quickly ubiquitous and kind of loses its specialness the other one i'm going to go with is kimchi I've become a big believer in kimchi lately. Hmm. As, yeah. As as, as, uh, as you know, either something in tacos or burritos or on on the side, really great flavor to it, and really kind of unexpected. Like I didn't expect to like it as much as I do, and I think that you know, I, I do feel like you know, obviously Asian food. It, that's something that 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 feels like the poised breakout star. Like that's the that's the the. The star at AAA, the star at AA, who's really hitting the ball well and is about to get the call up directly to the big leagues. I I would also say that cabbage in tacos uh, oh, needs to be up there. No question, no question. That's, it's, that's, it's always I, just been, dis- it's, I discovered that for the first time when I went to California last year, mm-hmm. and I just wonder where my wife like what I was what I was what, wasting. Was it, it a on fish taco that. that you had the cabbage in, or the? Of or course. Regular? Okay. It was yeah. actually it was actually an octopus taco. Really? Did you know my wife? Actually, me- octopus might be the thing that the is the actual answer to this question. All right, because you had octopus in Italy too. I remember seeing the. Oh, I had, I had so much octopus in Italy. <laughs> so did you, much octopus. Did you, <laughs> did you know my? 
my wife was reading me this off the internet, so it must be true. Scientists in a, in a recent journal article are positing that octopus have alien DNA. Like, their DNA is completely unlike any other living thing on the Earth that they think it might be, that it's of, like nothing else. I mean, that would be, I would not be surprised about that. Uh, no, octopo- but- I mean, the octopus is a, is a noble creature, and <laughs> and it's um, it certainly has all kinds of fascinating things to it that are, are unique and different, and, you know, if you've ever seen that video of, like, an octopus basically just, like, working its way through a crack in, mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a boat, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. So I, that would, I have not seen that, but that doesn't surprise me at all. Nah. All right. So we have the final question. Uh, which I'll read and I'll go first. I'll do my rankings. You wanted to rank the frozen pizza brands. Um, yes. I gave this a lot of thought and nobody's going to like my rankings but me, but I don't care. So I'm going to go in reverse order five to one. I rank top five. So okay. number five, Kashi. Um, mainly because Kashi. I, I like the idea that Kashi, I like generally like a lot of Kashi's food. I like the idea that they're making a healthy frozen, a healthy ish or healthy frozen pizza. I tend except, to, except like everything else healthy, it sucks. It's not great. It, it, it's not as good as you want it to be. So I'm going to go Kashi number five. Number four, I'm going completely the opposite direction. I'm going with the Stouffer's French bread pizza, which is wow, okay. one of the worst things you can eat for for your body, but wonderful I, I will never turn it down and they have the little triangle pepperonis that like they're almost like the little cup ones that they get, you, you get like a little burnt crisp edge to it that i really like um number three and this is where i lose any credibility and might get kicked off my own podcast i but i don't care i love tony's pizza the the yellow tony's. box the, the yellow yep. box the, the the incredibly cheap usually two bucks because it's a value pick Pr- frozen pizza is obscenely expensive for what you get, I think. I think it's, you know, one of the kind of overpriced, you know, there's not a lot of value proposition in the frozen pizza. So I like the Tony's because you get a full size for about, I don't know, two, three dollars. It's fine. It, it's on the level of like, you know, I think it's on the level of a Domino's or a Little Caesars type pizza. And I enjoy it. So come at me, bros, with with that one. I like, I like Tony's. <laughs> number, number two, Trader Joe's. I don't know if this we count this one, but Trader Joe's, especially their uh, old fashioned pepperoni. We've had that several times, and it's incredibly good. Um, uh, uncured pepperoni pizza, I should say. Their uncured pepperoni pizza, quite good. Um, has a really crisp crust, a good old school taste. Nice cheese pepperoni uh, uh, sauce combination. They get the ratios right. My number one frozen pizza brand is Newman's Own. They knock it out of the park every single time. I'm a big fan of that. Especially again, I'm a I'm a I'm a pepperoni pizza guy, so they're uncured pepperoni pizza from Newman's Own, on par with on on par with with, with crappy takeout pizza. So uh, I'm sorry that I've, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question here in a second, but you are going to love watching the end of this first half of the of the Bills Seahawks game. I, I love it like genuinely I, or just I, like, I, I mean, need... no, you're not. I mean, you're gonna hate watch it, but I it's like what like I don't even I don't even know that I can adequately describe what's taking place on screen. I mean, like they've tried to murder Dan Carpenter twice. On long field goal attempts, like Richard Sherman has been so far offside that he literally dove into the kicker both times, <laughs> and I think I think he was just ejected, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. Richard but Sherman anyway. or Dan Carpenter? Richard Sherman. Because if they want to uh, kill Dan Carpenter, he misses a lot, and I'm saying well, he would not be unpopular. But anyway, 
Anyway, so I actually I don't even have any of those brands in my top five. That's ranking. what makes this a great pit, a great draft. There's so many good there, there there are some good options out there. So, so um my my number five ranked pizza uh, on the Frozen spectrum is Red Baron. Yeah, uh, I I move. think I I think Red Baron is probably the worst of the the name brand like major frozen pizza. Okay. Uh, types. I've always felt that its cheese was like the worst. Its pepperoni was like not that awesome, and it didn't cook effectively well. Okay. Um, number four is Totino's. Good pick. Yes. And and you know here's the thing. I actually I really like Totino's pizza. However, I think it's important to note on this podcast that every single Totino's pizza, regardless of the topping tastes exactly the same it's right, one of the yes, great marvels yes. of modern science yes like I, I still don't totally understand how they pull it off but whether you get a pepperoni or whether you get a, a sausage or whether you get a deluxe it's it's all it tastes exactly the same and i don't get that i really don't um and my number three in my rankings is DiGiorno. Uh, i think that DiGiorno does a fairly good job with their with their frozen pizza i think that it's it's it is it's true it's not delivery but (laughs) but it's but you know from from the from the perspective of like where it is on the you know on the on the on the the total spectrum of things it doesn't it's good but it's not great okay um number two i'm gonna put tombstone I think really? the tombstone. I I, I I I I would. You can have that at number two if we're doing a draft. I, that's fine. I'm I'm letting I, you have that. I I really do. I really enjoy tombstone a lot. I I think that tombstone, if you cook it right, uh, you got to let the cheese get really kind of melty and and brown. Uh, but you get it just to that right level, and it's actually a very good pizza eating experience. And and they've got a nice variety. Like their 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 supreme pizza is very good. Their pepperoni and sausage is very good. And um, and it's had a remarkable consistency over a long period of time. Um, and then my 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 top one is actually the, uh, Freshetta. I think okay. that Freshetta Freshetta does an excellent job with what they do. Um, you you know you're still eating a frozen pizza. I still think there's a huge delineation between the frozen pizzas and the regular uh, carryout pizzas. But but I, I love the garlic bread crust uh, varieties of Freshetta and, and even their regular ones. Their toppings, even though they're frozen, seem slightly fresher and slightly um, more um, I guess vibrant than okay. what you'll get in some of the other ones. So. That would be my perspective right. on that. And, of course, the secret to any frozen pizza, whether it's a Tony's or a Freshetta or a Newman's Own, is, of course, the nice hot oven. Get it to about 420. They say to 425. I like a 450. And you got to put the pizza right on the rack with the cookie sheet underneath it to kind of catch any drops or prevent any spills. No cooking it on – without a pizza stone, which we don't have. But right on you, – you put it right on, on, on the oven rack. For really, that that gets the crust nice, but nice and crisp. You don't have any kind of indentations from trying to put it on the cookie sheet. Um, for me, that's hmm. the secret. Um, I actually, I do now. See, with 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 homemade pizza, I go, I do pizza stone, and we go as hot as possible in right. the oven. Absolutely. I go the exact opposite way with frozen pizza. Really? I generally, I have, I, I'll put it on, I, I'll put it on a specialized sheet with holes in the bottom. Right, right, sure. Um. And, but I will um, generally cook it at say 350 wow. for like 30 minutes or so. Wow, that's animalistic. Well, it's different. 
you know, All right. but I, I am, I am one of those people that to me, frozen pizza or any pizza is best when you have a really golden brown cheese as opposed yeah. to having a cheese that's just barely melted, which oh, I know some people really no like. No question. Yes. And I've always wanted to put the frozen pizza on the grill. See what that works. I've heard that can be an interesting move. I've never done it. I've never had the guts to do it. But I think, you know, this, this, this year I might be inspired to be courageous in my frozen pizza cooking. I hope you videotape that experience. I, 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 that, will be, that, will be, that will be my Facebook Live debut. Um, Last question. Yeah. Uh, whether, whether you, whether you um, well, I don't know if you've seen these yet, but best, best nature video shown this week on the internet. Was it, um, was it, was it male penguin coming home to find his, his, his <laughs> female penguin had taken up with another penguin and fight ensues? Or was it baby iguana trying to make it through the first few minutes of life being attacked by snakes? I have not seen either one, but um, I, I, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the baby iguana just because I've heard that's the great chase scene and it's from and that's Planet Earth and Planet Earth is just the gold standard of awesome so I'm Fair gonna enough. I'm going baby iguana I always go baby iguana on that note you should watch both of them folks they're All both right. very good but anyway you folks have a great one um, hopefully that uh, we're the country's still around next week when we do yep. our podcast again if not I'll be broadcasting probably from the uh, the the United Workers Republic of the Midwest and uh, <laughs> Brian will be broadcasting to you from the Virgin Islands. Yes. So yes. Um, <laughs> from those locales or from our normal homes in New York and Indiana, uh, this has been the flip side, and we will catch you on it the next time, folks. Have a great one. See ya.